I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome back to the Kate and Mike Show. Hi. Or welcome to the Kate and Mike Show for the first time. If you're listening for the first time. Hi, it's Kate. I'm Mike. We have a super fun, informative episode for you today that is going to help you make more sales and connect with your customers in a deeper way and just connect with every human on the planet in a deeper way. So we have Kendra Hall, who's the author of the brand new book, Stories That Stick. I freaking love this book. It's so compelling and well-written because it's story-based and she does, in fact, practice what she preaches. So Kendra, we first saw speak at the USANA convention many years ago. She's president and chief storytelling officer at Stellar Collective, a consulting firm focused on the strategic application of storytelling to today's communication challenges. She's one of the most sought after keynote speakers trusted by global brands to deliver presentations and trainings that inspire teams and individuals to better communicate the value of their company, their products, and their individuality through strategic storytelling. She's a phenomenal keynote speaker. What began as a chance encounter at age 13 with a storytelling cassette tape, which, yes, we had a really funny moment of connection about. (laughs) So listen in for that. Grew into a passion because I had that very same storytelling cassette tape, it turned out, and we realized that during the episode. So this chance encounter grew into a passion for not only telling stories, but a mastery for teaching others the methods and science of storytelling so they can better tell their own. So she told us today. Well, let's oh. you for you you about left out the best part here. Oh. She was the national champion storyteller. Yes, they have those and the member of the board of directors of National Storytelling Network. And she has her master's degree in communications where she conducted original research studying the role of storytelling in defining and revealing organizational culture. Mm-hmm. She has spoken for companies like Facebook, Hilton, Tyson Foods, Target, Berkshire Hathaway, and Harvard Medical School. I mean, and so many more. Like, it goes on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, um, I mean, it's a lot. Her, I mean, her career is keynote speaking, basically. Well, it's storytelling. Then, it's storytelling <laughs> through keynotes. <laughs> But now she's got this amazing book. And I have to tell you, I really loved the book. In the episode and in the book, she gives us the four critical ingredients that an effective story needs to have. And I realized as I was reading the book that we have some glaring omissions of story in our company and our marketing and our brand. And so you'll notice more stories coming through. I hope you notice because the plan is to actually practice what Kendra has taught us. I just really enjoy this woman, and I think we're friends now, which is really fun. <laughs> um, now we have each other's phone numbers, so it's like it's game on. Yeah, they they. Kendra currently lives in New York. She told the story about how she ended up in Manhattan, which is amazing. Is amazing. Kate cried. Bye. Kate used to live in New York. They're both blonde, and they're both married to Michaels, and we both have two children, and so. we're both business partners with our husbands. Yes, Michael. Correct. However, I am not nearly as good of a storyteller as Kendra, but I'm going to get better and better. And I want you to get better and better along with me. So listen to this episode and get inspired, get swept up in the stories just like we did. And then, of course, go get her book, Stories That Stick. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, Kendra. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So this is such an important conversation. And I have to say, I shared this with you the other day, that just reading your book, I'm realizing how good storytelling has been a pretty big oversight in our business. (laughs) You mentioned it, but I want to, I would love to, uh, I would love to hear like what changes you're, you're making as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, so before we dive into that regarding ours, but just like explain Cause like reading your book, it's just, it's just fluid. You just keep so going well and going <laughs> and going. It just doesn't And from stop a it. writer that, that is, is saying a lot. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, not me, but Kate. No, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, so it's like, to me, this is like many stories that you've incorporated in each chapter as you're going through it. What is the difference between 
let's say marketing copy yeah. and telling stories? I mean, marketing copy and I mean, I, you know, will not throw any stones at glass houses. I once put together a marketing piece for me, the storyteller that was saying, you know, what a company would get if they hired me as a keynote speaker and Kendra is energetic and engaging and will tell stories that captivate your audience and blah, blah, blah. And I sent it to, and I thought it was really good, you know, cause I could make it. I used words that started with vowels like energetic and engaging, which I think people kind of do like a little checkbox, like, Ooh, okay. Those are fancy words. And I arranged them all and, and they all looked great. And it all looked like it just sounded really marketing awesome. And I sent it to an advisor of mine who said, and I thought he was going to be like, this is awesome. Great job. And he said, really? The storyteller is selling storytelling and didn't tell a single story about storytelling. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed and he was so right. So that's the difference. A a story... And we can get into, you know, the components of what make a great story, but there's a lot of things right now that are passing as stories. Like this is our story and it's just a bunch of words on a page or on a website or uh, the, you know, you'll see on websites, our story. And so you click on it because you think you're going to get a story. And it's like, we were founded in 1973. And then in 1982, we moved to a bigger office. And now (laughs) we serve people across this many states in this many offices. Like, that's not a story. What would you call that? I would just call that marketing copy. Like a timeline, basically. Yeah, a timeline. Like, a, yeah. like dates and, you know, which is fine. Like, people want to know. Here's the thing. We want to know the information. The information is important. The other issue, though, of course, is finding stories. Like, for me, when I was writing that marketing copy... It was really hard. I hadn't thought of it, but part of the reason I didn't tell a story is because finding a story about storytelling and what it can do for people takes more work than just saying storytelling will do great things for you. It takes more work, which all great things require more effort. And so I think that, you know, the other thing I would call that copy is, you know, that fake our story page is just lazy. And I get it. Sometimes you don't want to, sometimes you don't want to. And sometimes it's, you need something to go out now and you don't have the story for it. In fact, in the book, there, there's one part that there isn't, I just didn't have a story for And I was so irritated and I just couldn't find it. I couldn't, I pulled my people. I couldn't, I couldn't find the story for it. And so it just ends up being this piece of the book you know when you read your book you're like oh that's that thing right there it's that little but it just it takes more of course then I found the story afterwards so maybe in revisions <laughs> yeah well that's Is great bonus I was gonna say that's great bonus content I know yeah. you already have all your bonuses dialed in and whatever but so just because I just published a book and then have learned so many things after yeah. it came out and even after I turned it in right because there's a yeah. long period of time where Stuff happens between when the book goes to print and it's in people's hands and you're like, wait, but there's this other thing. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's great, you know, fodder for webinars and obviously your keynotes and all that. Yeah. Stuff. So, okay. So I want to know, this is maybe an annoyingly simple question or an annoyingly big question, but why do stories matter to businesses? Why as a business owner, should we care? Because People don't want to do business with businesses. Like a business is a abstract thing. Like it isn't, you don't do business with my storytelling business. You do business with me. You don't do business with whatever medical sales device company. You're doing business with the person who is selling it to you. So the reason storytelling is so important in business is because we want to do business with people. We want to feel connected. We want to understand things better. We want to know the human aspect of it. And you hear that, you know, like, oh, humanizing business. There's no better way to do it than to tell the small stories that add up to what that business is really all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for you, 
Can you tell us the story of how or why you fell in love with storytelling? It's it's like not, you know, it's not your average career. I know. Professional storyteller. I know. I know. It's, um, I've always compared it to when I was in college, you know, I had the friend that was going to college to be a teacher and I had the friend that was going to college to be in marketing and I had the friend that was going to college to be a nurse and one was going into art history. So it was planning to work in galleries. And then there was just me. Like I called myself the gonzo. Like I, like what is, what is gonzo? Like you got a pig, you got a frog, you got a bear, and then you've got this like thing. And that's just kind of how I felt. So storytelling is one of those things that found me. I love the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert is one of my favorite books, but where she talks about like ideas basically coming to you and they're looking for a home. And I was really blessed and fortunate that this, that storytelling and what it can be in people's lives found me and then was very patient with me. So I told my first story when I was 11, it was an assignment for fifth grade and we had to choose a children's book and then we were supposed to go read it to a third or a fourth grade classroom. That was the assignment. And I chose the book, the giant's big toe. (laughs) Yes. An American classic Uh, (laughs) nailed it right off the right from the get-go. And I remember taking the book home and thinking it was good, but thinking I could really do something with it. And so I added some characters and I added some tension and I added one afternoon, my mom tells the story that I said to her, like, Hey mom, can I practice my story for you? And she said, she, you know, okay, yes, you can write. And she sat down. I remember, cause this is always where she would sit when I practice my stories. She would sit with her back against the couch on the floor with her back against the couch. And I stood up and just started telling the story. And my mom said, that she watched me and thought, what is this? Like, it was just this, it was just a different thing altogether. You know, like when you watch someone do the thing that they're supposed to do. So I went in to tell this story to this third grade classroom and the girl who went before me read the book. We were supposed to read the book. It wasn't tell the story. It was read the book, but I've always been, I don't know, overachiever or a little bit crazy. I don't really know. Um, And the girl who went before me, I'll never forget. She chose the book. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, you know? Yes. But read that to a room full of third graders. And she's just like, she's holding it up and like looking to this. I'll love you forever. I'll like you. And that book goes on forever. Like it goes on and on. And the third graders by the end of it were just like, they were just stand, like, they're like popcorn. Like they just couldn't sit still. They were bouncing all over the teachers in the back of the room. Like when are the buses going to come? And so then it was my turn. And I, I just set the book down and started telling the story. And it was the first few sentences I held the third graders in the palm of my hand. And I knew in that moment that maybe, maybe I was onto something, like maybe there was something to this. So that was really my first, that was my first experience. It was a very specific one. And then I, you know, I just like anything, we have stops all along our journey. And there were times that I remember at one point, we were leaving the National Storytelling Festival, which is a thing that happens the first weekend in October in uh, Jonesboro, Tennessee, which if you measure a town by stoplights, it has no stoplights. So there you have it. <laughs> um, but how, every, how many people are there? you know, there, there really aren't, there's like, I mean, I think it's probably a town of a thousand. Like it's a very, and maybe the town, but it is, there's like a main street that is one, maybe two blocks long. Like it is this, but the first weekend, every October, they put up these huge circus tents and they stuff them full with these white folding chairs that are like half the size of a normal <laughs> folding chair. And they'll squeeze like 700 people into these circus tents at a time. And 15,000 people flood this no stoplight town. You can't get a hotel. I mean, they shuttle people in like it is, it is something that should be experienced. And we were at this festival. I'd won a national storytelling competition. I thought the grand prize would be like a car or a scholarship, but, but it was that you got to tell at this festival. And, um, and, and which, which ended up, you know, like cars come and go. But this experience, I remember sitting in those tents and watching these storytellers. Now, they weren't storytellers about business. Like they didn't have an agenda. They were just telling these stories that you just fell into. And I brought Michael, my husband, one time, this is when we were dating. And I was like, well, if this is going to work, 
this thing, you and me, uh, you've got to come to this festival. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, you know, like he wanted, he, he was in, so he had to go to this festival and I'll never forget the first story that he listened to. You know, of course, this is years later from the time that I went the first time. There was this storyteller named Jay O'Callaghan. Oh, old obsessed. No way. I you know Jay O'Callaghan? My whole childhood. I'm completely obsessed. Yes, he's from Maine. Yes. Yeah. So, Raspberry. Oh my, oh my gosh. I can't believe you just said that. That is something that we say in our family all the time. So I have another story about a time that I love storytelling, which is listening to a cassette tape in our van of storytelling. And it's him telling the raspberry yes. story. He signed, do you have the book Orange Cheeks? Have you heard the story Orange Cheeks? Yes. And I have that copy. same audio cassette. We listen to yes. it nonstop. Oh my, see, this is why we're friends. Like you, people never understand this. They don't get it. They don't understand that this I'm is- I'm so excited. I'm sweating. No, me too. I did. I am so I should take off my- Oh, this is- Mike show has now turned into the Kendra and Kate show. I will see you guys on the next episode. You, you and Michael, you and Michael can start a, a new show together. That's what Okay, so you're in the tent and I got you off track. I'm sorry. No, but he's telling this story and it was the story of the great Auk. You've probably heard him tell it. It's an hour and a half half long and I looked over at Michael thinking like oh gosh what's he gonna think of this and he was entirely captivated it was a beautiful thing and I knew then that I could I could marry him I knew before I tried on wedding dresses before we were engaged let's just be honest here when you know so but the first time I went to the festival I remember going and I remember watching these storytellers and not only could I hear the stories and was I engaged in the stories but for me I could almost see the stories unravel before me, like come apart, um, like a blueprint. Like I could, I could see where the pieces fit together and I could see what they were. I could see what it looked like. And my mom and I were leaving that festival. She went with me and she looked at me and said, you know, you could on the way back to the airport, she's like, you could do this. You could, you could be a storyteller. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm going to tell stories for the rest of my life. Like that's silly. What I'm not going to, and I did, I kind of ran away from it. I was going to get a big corporate job and I did work in sales and marketing, but it just kept coming back for me. Eventually I realized that this is maybe the thing that I'm supposed to teach people. And so here we are. That's awesome. Wow. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that was a good story. <laughs> so there's so many different con. Well, do you have a question? Cause of course I'm yeah. going to just sign yeah, off. Yeah, wait. You go. Well, do you, I mean, <laughs> The thi- we saw you speak for the first time in at the USANA convention. I think this was 2016, 2015. It was, 2016. I was at the USANA convention, so I think it was 2016. Because then I couldn't go because right. of pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And I can even put my – you keep going. I can pull it up. Do you remember uh, what month they do it in? But I remember it was in that little theater and the, the wall, like the way the theater laid out was weird, but we were in the back. And I just – it's like you go to these events where there's a lot of speakers and an hour went by like nothing, right? And it's just like what, the way you're talking now. I'm sitting here. So I mean, I want, let's dive into the elements of what creates a good story yeah. because like I'm sitting here and visualizing. It's just, it's fascinating to find somebody that can tell amazing stories. Before we go into yeah. the elements, can you talk about the science behind storytelling and oh, what yeah. happens with the brain? Because I thought that was so fascinating, especially about the bonding hormones. Yeah. I, you know, it's one of those, and this isn't research that I myself conducted. This was Paul Zach, who is a neurologist, but wanted to study. And, and I think this is an important part you asked earlier about storytelling and, and its importance in business and where storytelling gets the short end of the stick where it's undervalued, where it's underestimated is it's easy to think that it's the soft skill, that it's the fluff. If you get a chance to, that is actually the waste of time. It's the thing that as business gets busier, you should leave out. But the reality is what happens when we hear stories is something we can't help. There's a change in our brain chemistry when we hear stories. It releases chemicals that connect us to people. It releases those, as you said, the, the bonding hormones that as you're telling a story, something happens. I call it the 
co-creative process. And that's the ultimate goal. Your goal is, as you're telling your stories, to, to draw people into it. So the people who are listening to it are taking your words and adding their images to it. But here's the thing. You haven't been to that storytelling festival. You don't know what that storytelling festival looks like. So what you're doing is adding images that are somehow meaningful to you. Maybe it's tents that you, maybe your tent is white because it was a, the tent from your wedding, or maybe the chairs are, you know, like you, you fill in the gaps. And the more that I can get you active in doing that, the more connected we become. And then you blur the lines between my story and your story. It becomes, it becomes our story. And that's, that is something we cannot, we don't have control over that. A lot of times in my keynotes, I draw attention to this particular piece of research and, and the ability for a story to grab attention. I always open with a story and then I always go into, you know, building the case for storytelling. And I get to this part and I say, you know, how many of you have ever been giving a presentation and you see the people looking at you, but you know, they are far, far away. Like they are somewhere else and everybody nods. And then I also point out that at that point in the presentation, many of them have started tuning me out because now I'm talking about the science. Now I'm talking about the information. Now I'm now I will admit I'm a very enthusiastic presenter. So maybe I have that working for me, but you get into that late afternoon session right after lunch and no amount of enthusiasm is going to stop that afternoon gaze. But then I ask them to think back to how they were listening to the presentation at the beginning when I'm telling them the story. And I think that's one of those light bulb moments because we listen differently when we're hearing stories. Yeah. And specifically, you know, the bonding hormone oxytocin, I'm so fascinated by because I, in our birth classes, we learn so much about it. And I'm just like hyper birth nerd. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I love that about you. The whole thing and oxytocin and then all the, it's just so fascinating that oxytocin releases when we are listening to stories. Yeah. I mean, you don't like the greatest natural drug. Yes. yes. I could stop nursing and still get the oxytocin from listening to J.O. Callahan. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. Like, it's a good, it's a good, well, and, and, you know, and it's true whenever that's how we build trust. It's, I mean, let's say you're working with a difficult person. Have you ever had that? Or you're working with a difficult person. Don't point to your neighbor. I can see you two sitting next to us. And then you have that where you share a story I had a woman accidentally kind of that was, we were just kind of having a hard time working together. And uh, then one day she accidentally told me a story about her life. And it was a story that illustrated a big part of who she is and why she is. And I felt immediately connected to her. I could feel empathy. I could, and our relationship was different from there on out. And, and that's the same thing, you know, when you're thinking about this and cold, hard sales, what are people, what are people thinking when you come in and you're trying to pitch them? They're saying, can I trust this person? Like, does this person, who is this person? What, what, who are they at their core? You can share your stories and illustrate that for them. Tap into the release of oxytocin, the bonding hormone. I mean, it's not the same as nursing a child, but you can build, you can build relationships very quickly through storytelling. Yeah, it's very efficient mm. and very mm-hmm. powerful. I love that. I've never called it that. It is extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that, for the sharing of the data. I love that. So what can you talk to us about what are the elements of an effective story? Yes, of course. And are they different for an effective story in business and an effective story in general, or is it just no. across the board? Yeah, it's across the board. Now, maybe you're using these components in business will have, you'll be more decisive about, you'll be more intentional about what these these components can do for you, what, what journey you're taking your audience on and what goal and objective you're trying to achieve by sharing this story. When you're just sharing stories, you know, casually or, or socially, you may not be as intentional about that, but I have people say to me all the time, I'm such a bad storyteller. I just never know. This will help you too. 
So there are four main components. These are components that I discovered over my lifetime of studying stories, experiencing stories, telling stories, helping others in consulting with their stories. These four key components that time and time again, when I added these in, because they're often the components that get taken out, this is what brings a story to life. So they are one, identify, oh, and this is no particular order, identifiable characters. Your story needs to have people in them. One person, two people, people that we can see, that we can connect to, that we can start to shape the outline of who they are and what they're about. Number two, it needs authentic emotion. A place that a story goes wrong is, you know, I'll have someone say, this is kind of like that, our story example that I gave you at the beginning where it's like, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's not just a sequence of events, but what makes a story more engaging, encourages that co-creative process encourages the release of oxytocin is the emotion. What was, what was the character feeling in that story? Uh, number three is there needs to be a moment in the story. And sometimes there are multiple moments, but a moment is where a story goes wrong is it stays too vague and high level. If what we're trying to do is draw people in and engage their imagination and put them in the place of the story. They need to know where the story is happening. They need that opportunity to have a very distinct visual image of where this person is, what is happening right now. And then the last component is specific details, which again, the more specific you are with those details, the more you will encourage that co-creative process. Okay. Amazing. So can we back up and go back to the story that you told us about Mm -hmm. the storytelling festival and can we identify what those pieces were? Yeah. So can really ground it. Mm-hmm. Of course. See, and it's funny because now I think um, I kind of do it automatically. So exactly. I like, yeah, you do. Yeah, sure. I hope that I can. So if I miss whatever one it is, you let me know. I don't think you did. No, I think I did. <laughs> and then if, the, if people would like the layout of this, so if they're taking notes or driving, like where can they go get like the, their hands on in her book. I know that. Oh, I didn't know if oh. there was another place. <laughs> this is this is so funny because, yeah, I'm like, um, is this where I'm supposed to say go buy the book? You know what? I will say this isn't something – We I do have a research study that we published that shows the results of this study that and the effectiveness of these components. That is available at stellarcollective.com. Stellar is spelt S-T-E-L-L-E-R, like storyteller, smushed together. Oh, um, I know. Cool. Well, Stellar well, Collective. Favorite new website here. There you go. It's e, she said S-T-L-L-E-R. I know. That's, that's what it says. S-T. Well, that's an E? That looks like an A. Oh, got it. I know. I don't know yet if it, that was the best idea, I'll be honest. But Can there you, you go. buy both so that <laughs> when people. I know I probably up, should. The other one you should. Yeah, I probably should. That's yeah. a good side note. Then also, know. this is also in your book, Stories That Stick. It yeah. is in the book, Stories this That Stick. Get it. And this yeah, is where all the uh, the details that go into it. So, so yeah, the story at the storytelling at festival. So the first component that I mentioned is the identifiable character. In that story, the identifiable character was me. So you're experiencing me as this person, me experiencing this storytelling festival. Now, I know that there is some belief or talk or a school of thought that says that you shouldn't be the character in your story. I disagree with that. I feel like that is marketing jargon in and of itself. I don't feel like, well, you tell me. Were you unable to identify this experience because it was me and I didn't say, imagine you were at a storytelling festival? No. Like, in fact, I think I was more relating because it was really the truth of what happened instead of you trying to concoct a story that I could relate to. And like, it, it, it's also, I mean, to me, it's like, it's your story. Like you're telling an experience you went through. Yeah. It'd be weird if like, I'm never imagining myself at a storytelling conference. No. I mean, now it sounds interesting. After yeah, now you should go. Now we, yeah, now, go. now we go. I want to go see what's happening in Jonesburg, Tennessee in the first week of October. But yeah. like, yeah, that's not relatable. Right. So, and, and that's one of those, this is a pet peeve of mine when people say, imagine you are, now you're making them do all the work. Mm. you're like making them do the work. You're like, you're basically saying, here's your assignment. Picture yourself here. Picture yourself doing this. Picture the, I mean, okay. But that, whereas when I'm just telling you the story with me as the identifiable character, you come with me because that's just what you do. But it isn't a, 
if done right. And of course, I never tell the story without the audience in mind. Like I want you to be able to come and sit next to me at this festival. So that's the identifiable character. I also mentioned Jay O'Callaghan in that story, but I would not qualify him as an identifiable character because I just said a name. I didn't describe him as a person or as a human. And then we had our own little moment, our own little tangent there. But I was the identifiable, maybe my mom. And what I could have done is build out a little bit more about my mom and she would have been a great supplemental identifiable character. But you had um, already told, I just want to say, you had yes. already told about your mom. So we already connected. I saw her on the couch and then she was this character supporting your storytelling journey. So like we had that. Right. Exactly. So, so in and of itself, if we were just talking about going to the storytelling festival, you're because as I was saying it, I'm like, well, except so is we are just talking about it in the storytelling festival story my mom wouldn't have qualified as an identifiable character. But because I introduced you to, if we were to look at the whole story that I told you, where I'm talking about my first story that I told, you did meet her there. And so in which case, yes. Yeah. Ooh, this is so fun. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, for, like it's a, like an equation or something. Like it's a puzzle that you can put it all together. That's yeah. what I'm Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is authentic emotion is what we were talking about. And I think in that story, and this is an authentic emotion that I really like to, that are often in my stories, actually. And before I share that with you, I feel it's important to note that if I didn't say this earlier, there's a misconception, a place where people stop and they don't tell their stories because they think that they're not big enough. Like they aren't like the greatest triumph or, or the biggest tragedy. And so they think that the emotion, if it wouldn't appear on the big screen, that it isn't a story. And I've had people write me and say, no, I have a story worth telling. I'm like, no, you always have a story worth telling. And I think that this component right here is really important because authentic emotion can be excitement. It can be nervousness. It can be regret. It can be guilt. It can be hope. Like these are all emotions that we feel on a daily basis. And so they are all fair game. In the storytelling festival story, the emotion that I often use is wonder. And I think that wonder is a great emotion to include because it's often that's we're telling, we're taking people on a discovery journey. And it's so important for them to see the wonder and discovery in your own eyes. If you're telling your founder story, if you're telling the story of when, when you discovered this revolutionary product or the moment that you became a dad, um, that wonder is really important. So you would have heard me say that, like when I said I was watching them and I could see the story reveal itself like a blueprint in front of my eyes. That would have been the emotion. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I also was when this might be a different part of it, but it's like when you're describing the chairs, you said the white foldable chairs. That's that is a specific, specific detail. That's a specific detail. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Follow. Yep. So good. Okay. But you're, what you're saying here is, I think what I'm hearing you say too, is it's okay to be, it doesn't have to be like some, like those details can be really small too. Just uh -huh. like emotions. Yeah. So the third thing is a moment. And this is often where our stories start. They're the thing that it's like the thing that happened. Um, but the way I like to describe the moment is if you were looking at like an old school map, which I know none of us do anymore, but like where it was actually printed out and like came in a big book and you would highlight your route. And let's say you were looking at like a picture of, a, of Indianapolis or something, but when it gets into the heart of Indianapolis, you have to go zoom in and they have a see insect box. That's what the moment is. So it's the moment where, where the story slow, not, not slows down necessarily in pace, but where the imagery comes to a very specific point. So in that story, it probably, again, it would have been in the, and I would have told it better in the, one of the points would have been in the car ride over to the airport where I was sitting next to my mom and she said, you could really do this. Now, when I've told the story before, I say like we're in a, we were in a, a minivan shuttle and heading back to the, heading back to the airport. And she, she looked across the passenger seat to me, or she looked across the back seat and said this to me to bring it even further, even closer so that you're sitting in. And so even as I added that right there now, don't you picture sitting, what did you picture the first, did you picture 
I picture on the you way- walking out of the tent. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you kind of, which isn't bad, which isn't a bad thing, but that conversation happened in a minivan shuttle going back or like the moment when I put the book down and stood in front of the third graders, right? Where it just really comes. So you picture your, did you picture a classroom with third grade, right? And me yeah. standing in front of the classroom where you really slow it all down. And again, a story can have multiple of those moments, but you, what you really want is for people to be picturing where you are, what you're doing, and they will add their own imagery to that. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, specific details, which Mike, you already, you already did a spoiler alert on that, but getting really specific about small things. So, and you can see like even in a moment, the moment component and specific details, sometimes those two things blur together. You use specific details to define and describe the moment, right? But they can also, they can also be separate. Mike, you mentioned the white folding chairs. Could you all see, could you see them? And when I mentioned the circus tents, did you picture your tents? And then what were some of the other specific details that were? Well, you said the town that Mm -hmm. was just the no stoplight town with just the main street. So we were, you know, of course, we're picturing the small towns we've been to. Exactly. Even the um, moment where my mom was sitting on the floor with her back against the couch, Mm -hmm. getting very specific about that detail. Even just saying you're going to a storytelling conference, you know, it's like you're going, I forget the title of what it was, but yeah. 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 You're just like going there. You're already imagining what this experience is like. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to a knitters comp, you know, it's like this, the national convention of knitters. You're like, you're, you have, (laughs) you already fill in. Yeah. Even, I mean, the, obviously the specific details are necessary, but it is interesting just to witness like how the brain starts to fill in images. They're already ready. Our brains want to do it. They, they're ready to play. They want to. That's what our brains want to hear. And so they'll go with you. The thing that is really powerful as you get better at telling stories and telling great stories using these components is the strate- or the specific details then can also be tools where you uh, you illustrate how well you know the audience so if your audience is moms new moms the specific detail of trying to collapse a stroller and get it into a car you know and even if you named the brand of the stroller or the or the whatever like the very specific detail of what a breast pump sounds like. Like it has a very specific sound. If that's your audience, including that detail in there, they will be thinking to themselves, that person understands me. They really get what this is about. So any of those details that you know, and this is where storytelling in business becomes very valuable. Any details that you know that your audience will know, include those. They'll go right there with you and they they will like you even more. They'll trust you more. So that really works well. We do it naturally because I am very similar to our ideal customer, right? Like I am them in many ways, or at least was them a couple of years ago. So, but what if somebody is not their ideal customer and they are selling something to people who they haven't lived their same lives? What do you recommend them? That's a great, that's a great, like confabulated or that's maybe not even a word. (laughs) Confabulated, I think should be a word. I will support the, the inclusion of that word into our language. No, no. So here's what, here's, this is a great question. Here's what I do. So for example, I am often asked to speak for audiences that, that I'm not, that I don't know. Right. So, so I will speak for, I was not long ago, I was speaking for a room full of 500 actuaries who do taxes, like, and to teach them about the power of storytelling. Right. I don't do, I mean, I do my taxes. Somebody does my taxes, Um, but they're right. So, so that isn't, I am not them. I'm not, I'm not talking to my people at that point. So what I do for my, but I always open my keynotes with a story, is I go to a place that we can find commonality. And what I used to open that keynote was a story about high school science class. 
because I know that everybody in that room has been to a high school science class. And so they could come on that journey with me. Now, the experience in the high school physics class illustrated the point that I wanted to make to them, which is there are gaps in the way that you're messaging yourself. There are gaps in the way you're marketing yourself. There are gaps in the way that you're communicating with your customers. You need to fill those gaps with stories. And in my physics story, it's a story about how I used a story to fill a gap. But because I take them, so right, so I take them to a place, I tell a story that I know they can, they can go there with me. And, and that is, that's your responsibility when you're delivering messages is to know your audience. And so if you don't know immediately what you share, go somewhere else. Just take them somewhere else. Take them back in, into those common areas that the majority of them have experienced. Right. That are common humans. So you're not, you have nothing to do with actuaries, right? Or like that business. No, for you. Nothing to do with actuaries. Common ground where you guys can connect, you and the audience can connect, and then you can build it from there. We're can, yeah. Yep, exactly. And yep. so that they can, as I'm telling them this story about me in physics class, they're laughing along too, because it's a story about like, oh gosh, you saved my assignment to the last minute. And you know what they, and whether they were that kind of person or whether they weren't like they, they can go there with me. And mm-hmm. so we develop a rapport. We develop that relationship. There's the release of oxytocin. They like me. They trust me. And now, now I will say that many of them I know are wondering while I'm telling the story, why is she telling me this story? But then I come back to it throughout the presentation and say, remember when I said this, it was doing this. Then they really get it. Just like <laughs> so you got to deliver on the other end. It's kind of like what we're doing right now. Right. Like we just, you told a story and now we're picking it apart a little bit. Yeah. I mean, exactly. we know why she was telling it because yeah. I asked her a question. Well, obviously. <laughs> But yes, it's totally true. No. Okay. Something that I come up against as I'm, because, you know, storytelling is not new to me, though I have to say, I've just learned so much from your book about it. And I remember sitting in your keynote, taking copious notes, being like, Mm. oh my God, this is incredible. So yeah, it's probably one of the most profound. Yeah. I'll never forget. I left that keynote and I texted the person in charge of the United States market. And I said, you need to have Kendra Hall in front on the main stage. Main stage. In front of everyone. For sure. And then they, now it's been like three or four white dudes in a row. So that didn't happen, but maybe in the future. Maybe you should write them again. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Um, So I come up against you and you touched on this a little bit because I have read in other places or heard in the marketing world, like, okay, no, your customer needs to be the hero of the story. You cannot be the hero of the story which I get on some level, but I get a little confused because I do have stories that are relevant. So like, here's a perfect example. Uh, We were recently doing an opening of our membership origin. So I'm telling this somewhat heart-wrenching story about something that happened to me last October. And I'm writing the email and I'm thinking to myself, am I being self-indulgent right now? Because the story had a purpose. Like I wasn't just emailing them to be like, hey, this thing happened, which would have been fine too, maybe, but yeah. it wasn't. And so like, where's the line between being self-indulgent as a business owner, telling stories about yourself and serving your customer? And like, what, how, how do we make sure we don't make it too much about ourselves? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, it takes practice and it takes feedback. So, so if this is something you know, as you're, as you're starting to use your stories. And this is a concern that this is a valid concern that people have that as you're telling stories to maybe get feedback from people and say, Hey, does this sound like it's just too much about me? And if they're like, no, this is, I got something from this, then you're on the right track. So, so practice feedback, that's a part of getting better at any skill, right? But the bigger message here is, and and you said it, you had a purpose for telling that story. You weren't telling the story just to tell the story. You weren't telling the story to, and and there are times in our lives where you're supposed to be telling a story just to tell the story. So fine, good. But when you are telling, as you said, you were opening up, you were opening up the membership program, you're telling a story with a purpose. And so to avoid making a story that's all about you, all about you, start with what is your purpose? What is your message? What do you want the audience to think, feel, know, or do? I'll say that again. 
what do you want your audience to think, feel, know, or do as a result of hearing this story? Then when you have that in mind, when you're like, this is what I want them to learn from this story. This is, this is what I want them at the end of this story to be like, yes, I get it. And I would assume for you, I will sign up for this membership. I struggle with the same problem. She's the kind of person that, you know, I want to be a part of whatever, whatever the objective was that you had. So that's that. So once you have that objective, then you formulate the story with them in mind. Like it has to be. So the pieces that you keep, the pieces that you let go, the details that you include, if you find yourself including a detail just because you like it or because it makes it more, you know, it takes it, but they don't need it to get the objective, then you can leave it out. So that's what I would say to that is you're, as long as you're being, and here's the other thing, you should never tell stories that you haven't fully resolved for yourself, especially when you said it was a kind of a heart wrenching story. You have to be on the other side of that heart wrench in order to have permission to tell that story. Because then if you're still in the middle of the story, then it's self-indulgent, then it's a therapy session and they'll be able to feel that. So I have, I have people, you know, that are like, Oh, I have big life transforming stories. I'm going to go tell that story. And I'm like, "Mm, sounds like you're still in the middle of that. Wait till you get on the other side of it. And you can take that story and use it as a tool to serve your audience, not as a way for you to express yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that. I have so many more follow-up questions, but I want to give you space, hon. No. Okay. I'm I'm going to plow on through. (laughs) No, no. I'll ask. Yeah. I have a question about then sort of being a personal brand, right? So you have your stellar collective yeah. and, and then you also are a personal brand mm-hmm. and, and using our lives for, it's a question that comes up in our community a lot. I feel pretty comfortable with how I do it, but I know other people don't. And so I'm asking on behalf of them. Yeah. Because like, how do you personally, or do you recommend identifying, especially on social media and, you know, just in marketing emails and in your speaking gigs and stuff, like how much of yourself and your life to share with your audience versus like as a personal brand, it can be a little tricky for people to know how much is too much or how much is not enough. Yeah. So just what do you have to say on that? Yeah. So in terms of the, I will say that in terms of the relationship between Kendra Hall, the brand and the Stellar Collective, the brand, we haven't entirely figured that out. What we do know is we cannot fully separate the two because the Stellar Collective was born out of a need for there to be more than just Kendra Hall. Uh, We wanted to be able to do more than me being on a stage. We wanted to offer more. We wanted to research. We wanted to, there was more that we wanted to do and it needed to live somewhere else. So as time goes on and as that brand grows and, and as that the separation becomes more, we will still continue to be telling stories through the Stellar Collective, but they will likely be more about there'll be more about customer stories, client stories, and not so much my stories. So there's that. But then in terms of telling stories as your personal brand, I think that's one of the things that has served me best is that I'm, I, that I tell stories all the time and they can be really small stories. They can be personal stories. But one thing that I know for sure is all the research points to this. This is why I encourage people to tell their stories. If you tell a story, they will remember it. You can't untell the story. Like by nature, they will remember this. That's why they, that's why you tell stories. So I would say as you are incorporating stories, because if you are a personal brand, people are buying you. They want to be a part of your life. You know, as I'm posting stories on Insta stories, like the comments I get back and like, look at, we are friends because of social media. And because I feel like I know, I mean, this is a real place that you build real relationships, but just know that, you know, if you also want to make sure that you're respect, there have been times where there are stories that I wanted to tell, but I also have the responsibility that I am a brand and that story isn't an appropriate story. It doesn't serve the brand. And so I don't tell it. Maybe I have a personal Instagram page where I tell that story and, you know, and then that's fine. But for the brands, you are, it is your responsibility to make sure 
I mean, I, I feel like you do it best if your stories are supporting your brand and that you're sure that you're okay with them being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I would like to ask you as we wrap up about the story of you moving to New York City mm-hmm. because yeah. that's when somehow I don't know, you know, the algorithm, thank you, Instagram. That is when you popped back into my feed. I have no idea why. It was about a year ago, and our community is really about trusting their intuition and living outside of the box and doing things that, you know, are unconventional. And I feel like this story, A, I want to hear it, but B, I just feel like it will serve them as inspiration. Well, it is a big story and one that isn't perfect yet. But so I grew up in Minnesota. My husband grew up in Southern California. We met in Arizona and we had called Arizona home for, you know, about 13, 15 years, somewhere around there. Had our kids. Uh, We lived in Phoenix, just south of Indian School Road and 44th Street. So we had an amazing- On 43rd and Thunderbird. Oh yeah. So you were north? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we- you know, home is where your people are. And we had our people, we had everything. Uh, We had just bought our dream home. Uh, We remodeled it. We were on a golf course. Like it was it. Like we were there, but I've always wanted to live in a city city. I remember driving into Minneapolis and St. Paul with my dad on those early mornings when he would have to take me to work and it was still dark outside. And I would just sit and stare out the window and wait until St. Paul came around the corner and just stare at the city skyscrapers against the dark dawn sky and just always had this feeling that I wanted to move to a city. But whatever, we had our kids, we had our home, like we were done. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's like, it's incredible. Listening to her is- I know, you're such a, I mean, so Sorry, I was talking to Kate there. That's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's like just describing, it's, yeah, it's just like how everything is so descriptive. It's, this is amazing. Like how you automatically, this is, you're automatically doing this in hell. Oh, so illustrative. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. It would be bad if I were the storyteller who couldn't tell the story. <laughs> it would be bad and you yeah, would take a different it would be career. Bad, yeah. But the good news is yeah, exactly. what you're teaching. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, but they, oh, and I, well, it's because I can picture. I just remember, I just remember. There's so much more I could say. But anyway, so, so it, it was really one of those, you talk about intuition and I've always, I've felt, I definitely get intuitive they're not even nods. They're like hammers on the head, which fine. So I've, I've become much better at following them. And there was just this little thing. I went, I had a speaking event a couple of years ago, two years ago, maybe in New York. And I stayed in the city and I walked to a soul cycle and I was like, man, I really think I could do this. And I came home and told my husband and he was like, uh, but then for fun, he's the researcher. He'll, he'll look anything up. He's like, oh, there's some good public schools in New York city. So it was just kind of in the back of our minds. And then we decided to take a family vacation. We were going to take a family vacation in around Christmas time, take the kids to New York City, see some shows just for fun. Actually, though, there's another part of the story. I went again and so that was Christmas time. I went again in August with some girlfriends and I said to them, hey, can we just go check out this school that my husband found? And we walked by it and I just felt this. I've never felt this before, but this like vibration as we were walking down the streets, everything kind of started shaking. And it was like my body saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. And I couldn't control it. It was very odd. So I came home and I was just really missing New York. And we decided to take a family vacation. But before that, I decided to surprise Michael for his 40th birthday to go see Hamilton in New York City. So we went to Hamilton and then one day we were walking down the streets and we saw a sign within the school district on one of the apartment buildings that said apartment for rent and it was in the district. And I'm like, let's just call them. So I called them. They showed us the apartment. We came back two weeks later with the kids. The apartment was still available. We went and looked at the apartment. The kids loved it. We loved it. And we were like on the flight home, we decided just to do it. And at that point, at that point, we weren't sure if we were going to move or if we would just have a second place. I mean, some people buy a car. We were like, why not rent an apartment for a year? I mean, who, who makes the rule? We make the rules. But then what happened is that apartment fell apart, like something came apart and it was devastating for both of us. And we had this moment where we were like, I said to Michael, I had just gotten in the car finishing an event. I called him and he sounded like someone had died. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, we lost the apartment. And I couldn't think straight. I was, and I said, well, what do you, what do you want to do? Cause I always loved New York. I didn't know if he did. And he said, I want New York. 
And so then this became this new, cause that just kind of happened. Like it was an accident that we found this. And we're like, oh, let's just, you know, and, and what a beautiful thing to be able to have fun and do that kind of, take that kind of adventure. But then we got serious about it and we ended up finding another apartment and we ended up enrolling the kids in school. And then we just kind of randomly ended up moving to New York City. We don't know anybody. We've never been. We have no family there. We, you know, and people will say like, how's it going? And I don't know how to explain. I mean, nothing's easy. No big change like that is easy. We moved right at the beginning of the school year. That is my busiest time for speaking. I was gone all the time. We learned a lot of important lessons in that time. But one thing that never came up was us not liking New York City. And really for us, I mean, we kept our house in Arizona. We still have it. It's rented out right now. And it really was an exercise. And what's the worst that could happen? What? We don't like it and we come back? That's where we're at. And so, and I will say there were, our friends were upset. Our families were very upset. It was not an easy decision. And it was also not an easy decision to explain because people would say, well, are you going there for work? Well, no. I mean, New York City is a great place to be if you're launching a book, but there's no guarantees. Michael works with me. We work together. We can work from anywhere. We could go, we could move to Omaha if we wanted to. So, so there wasn't, and, and that's the thing is we didn't have the story that people wanted us to tell. If I had said, oh, I have a job that moved me here, nobody would have thought twice. Um, but because we just felt, and I can't tell you how, how weird it was to feel it and just go for it. So there you go. That's the story. And it was at the filming. I'm not sure when we'll be releasing this, but we celebrated our one year anniversary just two days ago of moving to New York City. And I don't know when we'll go back. Such so good. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, I love that. It makes me teary because, <laughs> because I miss New York. And yeah. like there's, it's like such a beautiful, like that. I feel like New York, you know, is an identifiable character. <laughs> in it, a lot of people's it is stories. weird. It is weird because it does feel that way. Um, and that's what they actually said about sex in the city was that the city was the fifth character. And, and, that. And I would never say that about a place except that actually you just gave me a really big thing to think about. I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. It's, it's, magical. It's, it's a magical place. It's a magical place. Um, before, and I love how you listened to your body on that. Like I'm just all before about it. we end, I know we're coming very tight on time, but it's congratulations. I just saw today you. that you have four X your approximate numbers you wanted for your pre-order yeah. campaign. Well, I don't know what that means that we're doing a great job or if the publisher and if we severely underestimated ourselves. So either way, one way or the other, I feel like it's good news. I think Thank after you. it would be great to talk to you, I think maybe in a year from now, like yeah. post after all of because it's amazing yeah. watching you launch this book it is. from Instagram and just watch how it takes place. So it's yeah, it's huge. Good job. Yeah. Thank Congratulations. You. Well, I learned from the best. I was watching you all along. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. This is so, such a pleasure. This was so much fun. I'm so like the oxytocin is running. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I want to know where should people go find the book, connect with you? What do you have for folks? Yeah. So the book is available. It releases September 24th. So it'll be at all of your, you know, the book retailers online. Um, we do have some cool bonuses. If you're pre-ordering, that is at storiesthatstick.com. So you get a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what it all is, but it's there. So go to storiesthatstick.com. You'll pre-order the book and then upload your receipt and you'll get all that good stuff. Can you tell us one thing? that's available at storiesthatstick.com oh, as a bonus? Oh, yeah. It's, well, you get an autographed book plate, so mm -hmm. I'll sign it for you. So when your book comes, you'll have a signed copy because I think signed copies are the best copies. And you also get, I think we have the, well, I wanted to do the intro and chapter one on audio, but I got really tired about halfway through on the audio because I already recorded it for, so there'll be an audio book, but I was like, oh, what if we did this cool, like behind the scenes thing? So it's me reading the book and also like having chit chat with Michael, but I only got halfway through chapter one because I got hangry and I say that in there. I'm like, I got to, I got to stop. So I'm going to stop telling it. So you get like, you get the intro in chapter one, half of chapter one. And then there's another, like a resource guide that's on there as well yeah okay 
that's great. So check that all out at storiesthatstick.com. Also definitely follow Kendra on Instagram at Kendra Hall. Yep. If you want to learn how to tell stories on social media, yeah. I would, she's a great resource because mm-hmm. she's doing it. So just <laughs> be inspired, learn. So thank you, Kendra. This was such a pleasure. You're awesome. Oh, I've been looking forward to it. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. Are you thinking about making a big investment in your business in a mastermind or a high-level coaching program or some other big ticket item, but you feel unsure about whether or not it's going to be worth it, how to make the decision about if it's the right thing for you, and how to even plan for that investment? Well, Mike and I have seen a lot of new high-ticket offers in the online business and personal development space, and we're excited about that. And we also want you to have the tools to make the best decision for you so that this is an investment and not a waste of money. So we're offering a free masterclass There's really not any pitch. It's just a public service about how to decide on and plan for making a big investment in your business. You can get it totally for free over at katenorthrup.com forward slash up level. And we're so excited to share with you three signs that you're ready to invest in a high level coaching or support for your business, a simple fail-proof three-step process for making the right decision about these investments every time, and the critical shift you need to make in your business finances to make the funds available to invest when the time is right. So if you are looking to make a big investment in your business and you want to do it right, join us for the free masterclass, katenorthrop.com forward slash up level. See you there.